This is No BS, a series of authentic conversations about the world of work. My name is Dr. Carlin Borosenko. I'm an organizational psychologist, and I work with individuals and organizations all over the world to help them create amazing work experiences. And I'll be honest, in the work I do, I run across my fair share of nonsense. In this series, we are going to call BS on the things that are just completely unnecessary in the workplace and explore how we can do them better. Ready to go? Let's get started. Now, today's conversation is with one of the very few people who I would definitely say that I'm a little bit of a fangirl of. I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm definitely fangirling here. It's with Katrina Kibben. Now, I came across Katrina on Twitter in the HR space. She's the CEO of Three Ears Media and teaches people how to write amazing job posts that infuses humanity back into the equation. But she also tweets really, really smart, funny, sarcastic observations about the world of work. And it was actually a tweet that started today's conversation. But what I love about these conversations is that sometimes they go in directions that are just completely unexpected to me when I get into it. And we definitely did that. We may have started with a tweet about not being allowed to speak in meetings, but we actually went on a tangent that became a deeply personal conversation between the two of us. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Well, I'm so excited to have you here. And the reason that we're having this conversation is I saw a tweet you sent out a couple weeks ago, and I just want to read it to lay the context for what we're talking about today, which is said, I'll never forget my first big corporate meeting with the CMO, VP, my manager, and I. It was my second day. And as we walked out, she whispered to me, you aren't supposed to talk in those meetings. I know I'm not the only one this happened to. And what really caught my attention is you'd had so many replies basically saying, yo, me too. So I, I wonder if you could just like tell us a little bit about that tweet and some of the responses you got to it. Oh, absolutely. So uh, the context, it's fun. So I joined a very large company after working at a very small startup. And when I was at the startup, the CMO, her desk was next to mine right? We had no walls. We had no, uh, you, I guess, proprietary ideas. And so when I joined this big company, I came into it with all of the bright eyed <laughs> ideas that I had when I was at my startup and all of the access and the, the concept of management access uh, was, you know, what I assumed all work was like. And I was very, very wrong. Uh, so, <laughs> so at the time, I was a social media manager. I was kind of the most junior person on the team. Like I said, it was my second day. And they asked if I wanted to join the meeting. And of course, I was thrilled. This was my moment, right? I was going to show everyone how smart I was. I, I need to asterisk this by saying that's sarcasm. And that I was 24. <laughs> Um, and so I'm brought into the meeting and, you know, I was asked questions and instead of quietly nodding or letting other people in the room take their first stab as I, I realized the company politics demanded, I answered and I answered when I had things to add or when I thought we could take a different approach. 
the shame following that meeting uh, was <laughs> a bit of a spiral, right? And I very quickly was put in my place about when I was allowed to talk and when it was appropriate for me to speak in a corporate meeting. And when I shared that tweet, it seems like those politics uh, are very much, they cross boundaries of industry, company size. Uh, it, I realized really quickly that my experience at my first startup is not traditional to most companies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it was really shocking to me to read the responses because this is something that I never personally encountered and I couldn't, I can't imagine being invited to a meeting, which you would think, you know, if you're invited to a meeting, your input is wanted and you're, you're there to make a contribution to it and then be told, no, 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 your job is to keep your mouth shut. It boggled my mind. Right. It's almost like people, it in big corporations invite multiple people from their team simply because they think they have power in numbers. Uh, I've never quite encountered that power, but it, it seems like people believe it's there. Well, you know what it reminds me of? Because I, I, I watch like, um, like, you know, congressional hearings quite a bit and you see the politician, but then they've always got their entourage behind them. And, and the entourage never does anything, but, but they're there. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I've been in corporate meetings where we sat just like that, where one person sat at the table and the rest of us who were not allowed to speak sat on the outer rim of the room. Did you ever see, did you see the movie um, Zero Dark Thirty? I did not. It's a, it's a fantastic movie. It's about um, the, the CIA analyst who um, basically spent years tracking down Osama bin Laden. And I mean, this is all she did from the time she got out of high school for years and years and years. And there's a great scene in this movie where, where she has basically been the one that has stewarded them figuring out where he is and where he's living. And they're trying to make the case to the CIA director that they need to go get him. And when they go into the meeting room, they tell her to sit back against the wall. Ugh. It's the worst. <laughs> it is. But I want to go I want to go back to some of the things that you said because um you know this this happened to you when you were a young professional. Um I and I I you know you were you were being sarcastic about you know you you wanted to get in there but I think that there is some proving yourself that happens when you're a young professional especially if you're highly motivated you want to say I I deserve to be here I deserve to have my opinions listened to and then you were shamed. Like I I I it boggles my mind that you you use the word shamed after that meeting i wonder if you could tell me um what it felt like to to get that feedback from your boss that you were not supposed to speak well i came into the workforce with what i would call the promotion mindset i had this idea that if i worked hard and i made my contributions known that i would be promoted and rewarded for that and I realized that my mindset and my goals could actually hinder my career progress at that company, or at least they gave me that perception that my persistence was a negative. And when you set people up like that, I think it sets them up for believing that their next step is out not up in your organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's intentional? No, 
<laughs> Unfortunately, most people are never given any kind of decent manager training yes. um, or taught, right? They're never told how to behave or how to be a good manager. And so with the best intent, I believe my manager was trying to make me socially acceptable in that organization or culturally acceptable within that company. And her intent was that I wouldn't ruffle any feathers. I'd be happier if I didn't ruffle any feathers. But the reality was there was an entirely different message that was being communicated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, I mean, and I'm going to preface this with obviously we're both, we're both women. And so this is the perspective we have, but I do wonder if having this approach, it, it, it seems to me like it's more directed at women in the workplace than it is at men. What do you think about that? I absolutely agree. I was in a scenario where I traveled literally halfway around the world to help another office within our organization with their employer brand. And so the managing partner of that office offered me a job while I was there. And my manager found out. And rather than patting me on the back and being proud that I was being recognized by this firm, I was told that I was out of line that I was aggressive and a a litany of other things that were fundamentally untrue. But at one point I stopped and looked this manager dead in the face. And I said, you would never say this to me if I was a man. You would call me a go-getter. You would tell me that I was pursuing my career. Now, (laughs) timing, not great on that message, but... (laughs) I believe, I truly believe that that was just one aspect of how I've seen it personally in my career, that we are treated differently for wanting to be, I I don't want to use the word aggressive because I think it it gives the wrong perception, but passionate about the Mm -hmm. pursuit of our career. Yes, I, I totally agree. And I'm not, I'm not really huge on gender stereotypes in, in most situations, but I completely agree with this one simply because, you know, my experience is that I am, I am a very aggressive woman. <laughs> I, I am not afraid to say what I think. I am not afraid to go after what I want. And anytime I've, I've worked in an organization, I've, I've, you know, done, so, followed, followed what I wanted to do pretty passionately. And it was always slapped down. It was always just, it was, it was put down and, you know, men who did exactly the same thing, got the pat on the back, whereas I was told to kind of sit down and shut up and oftentimes would get in trouble for doing what I was doing, where if a man had done the same thing, nothing would have happened to him, or I was made to feel like I shouldn't say things. And it it really, I mean, it, it, it hit me uh, probably about five or six years into my professional career that really what they wanted from me was just to be quiet and to do what I was told. And I found that to be incredibly offensive. Same. You know, what surprised me is that I've worked in organizations that were led by women. I've worked on teams that were led by women and the same thing happened. So it wasn't necessarily that these companies are dominated by men and that's how we're put in this place. I almost want to say that managers, again, because of a lack of training and because we, I'm air quoting, were raised 
in environments where that's what we were told to do, that we have made that trickle down despite our best intentions of never doing that to another woman. I actually would argue that women are much worse to other women than they are to men. And I mean, this is backed up by um, statistics around workplace bullying, where if you look at a man who's bullying people in the workplace, they tend to, they target each gender about 50-50, 50% men, 50% women. But if you look at women who are bullies in the workplace, 80% of the time they are targeting other women. Interesting. Yeah. But what I think is interesting, and I actually had a case of this just this week. I had a friend text me about this. I think those stats might be slightly skewed because often when men find a woman challenging, they find a third party to deliver the content. So here's the context, right? So my friend is an office manager. Her ma- and she ran a uh, young leaders group and she needed to pick an MC for an event they were hosting. And she picked a young woman who is brilliant, very ambitious, um, just really smart. But sometimes she, and this is, these are her words, rubs some of the leadership the wrong way. So rather than the leadership giving that feedback directly to this young leader, they give the feedback to the office manager and asked her to deliver that. Now, who's more qualified to give advice and coaching, an office manager or an executive? <laughs> Sometimes I actually think it's the office manager, if I'm honest. <laughs> well, good for, I mean, in this case, absolutely, because she contacted friends and asked for how we've been developed in the past and how we could help her. You know, and I offered some of that advice as someone who has been defined by some of the same labels. But I do believe that that data, it might, and this is just me guessing, right? Mm -hmm. I do find that men always try to find a third party to deliver hard information to women who have those labels or most of the time. You know what? I mean, I I don't, I don't, I think the data definitely could be skewed if for no other reason than it's actually really hard to identify when people are are being bullied in the workplace from an outsider perspective. So I don't, I wouldn't doubt it at all, but it almost seems as though in this case, like, you know, there might also be a difference in terms of wanting to prove yourself, whereas men, I think, can sometimes be a little bit more strategic about what they're doing because their goal is to get what they want, not necessarily to zoom in and be the person getting it. So if they're like, if I can get this from the office manager, I'm completely fine with getting it from the office manager. I just want what I want. Whereas sometimes I think if, if, they're, if they're not being strategic and playing that political route, it's, it's more because they want to be in the center of things. Does that make sense, what I just said? (laughs) Yes. I also think that inherent motivation might be slightly different between the two. So you were just talking about guy wants X. He fundamentally believes that he'll get it. Yes. Just like I did when I started out. And I believed that if I worked hard and I did what they told me to do, I would get promoted. I would get the raises. I would get what I want. And... I don't want to crush any dreams, but I've learned that that's not exactly the formula. You can't just do that because it doesn't, it won't fulfill your soul. Like at some point, you know, there are moments in my career where I realized that doing what they told me to do wasn't right for me Mm -hmm. and that it, 
hurt me. Or, you know, I, I took verbal abuse from managers because I believed that's what it would take to get where I wanted to be. I can go on and on. And I think we, as women, when you've had those moments of labels and believing things about yourself, you also believe that you have something to prove. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think we sometimes jump to participate and take on a lot because we think we're proving ourselves when we are inherently valuable. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. And I'm actually getting like a little emotional over here as we're having this conversation because, you know, I'm remembering back to times when I wanted to prove myself so desperately. And I've actually been thinking about a lot, a lot about this lately where it wasn't necessarily about, you know, kind of getting the gold star and, and being, you know, called out as, as, you know, someone who was doing good work, but it was also for me about wanting to be accepted. Yes. on the team and feeling as though if I achieve this thing, then people are going to see that I'm worthy and people are going to see that I'm valuable. And it just doesn't work like that. Nope. I think back to a thing that I always say to myself and my, my aunt used to say this to me when I was a kid. It's like, Katrina, you could be the ripest, juiciest peach, right? And some people still aren't going to like peaches. She said that to me a thousand times and it was not until the last maybe three months where I really internalized that of like, it's okay to not be accepted in every circle. It's okay for everyone to not like you, to not get you. You can still get what you want in this world without having a hundred percent success rate. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's, it's totally true. When, when you just kind of sit down and think, you know, a little strategically about this and, and take a step back, there are so many ways to get what you want. And there are so many different ways to be successful. And I think that sometimes, and I don't think this is just true of women, I think men do this too. We pigeonhole ourselves into this is the only possible way to achieve success. And we, we put blinders on to every other opportunity we have around us. Or... I think something that's even more dangerous is we never decide what success is. We yeah. simply chase these ghosts of everyone else's success. Mm-hmm. We remember what our parents defined as success. So maybe it was a title or maybe it was a rank in my case, right? I had a military family. Uh, maybe it was a dollar amount, whatever it was, we have models for success, but we very rarely actually manifest that success by saying what it is and being really clear about that definition. And that causes us to chase so many definitions without ever feeling satisfied or ever feeling like you win. Yeah. Well, because once you do get to that success level, it's like, okay, now what? I mean, I have, I work with so many young professionals that all they want is that director title. That is all that they care about. And I'm like, well, okay, well, but what sort of things do you want to do? What sort of things do you find exciting? They're like, I want to be a director. I'm like, well, titles are made up, first of all. Like, they're, they're completely made up. I mean, like, I, I'm not knocking it as a goal, but we should think about it more functionally. But um, even more than that, what happens once you reach that director title and it's not what you thought it was or it's not what you expected and it's not what, you, what will make you happy? right? Where do you go from there? Exactly. I think we have a tendency 
as a culture to move the finish line. I almost picture like a little kid doing a race and you know, they're just being silly and they don't even stay on the track and they just kind of like run around and move stuff. Honestly, that's how I see most people approaching success is like they're on the race. They kind of know what's happening. People are yelling at them to come in this direction, but like the finish line is not so clearly defined because really this is an entertainment thing. That's not how you should be approaching success. I, I think we have to set finish lines, whether they're tiny little ones or big ones, if we want to win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this, and, and I love that this conversation is going in a completely different direction than, than what I originally thought it would, but what do you think the goal should be then? I mean, you have much more experience now than you did when you were 24. What, what, should, what should people be doing if chasing the title is, is the wrong track? So from my perspective, and this is, again, I've had a really big like life learning year uh, I'm in the second year of my company, and I think that as someone who has always pursued the next thing, starting your own company is a weird place to be. <laughs> you were talking about Truth. the job title. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> we're talking about the job title, and I was like, yeah, you know, I could be the chief monkey officer if I wanted to be. Like, I could be the uh the the writing walrus or like whatever yeah call me whatever you want i don't care <laughs> exactly and so what i struggled the most with being ambitious and then coming to your own world where there's not one person who can tell you you're doing it right except mm -hmm. for you is that i realized that i needed a lot of different goals in order to define my success and so I do a little practice and I actually was just posting about this on my Instagram. It's just my name, Katrina Kibben. And I do five questions that I ask myself every single month. And these five questions, they help me decide what's important, but mostly they give me tiny little wins that can help keep me going, give me the motivation, right? So the five questions I ask every single month the first one is I want to feel, and usually that's one word. And it's a word that becomes a mantra for me of that month. The next one is I'll, I will be over the moon if blank happens. That's typically a business one because it's, it's something that I know I can accomplish that month that I have control over. So it's not get this deal signed because you have no control over that. It's print the book, send the email, um, it, I will be over the moon if 10 people call me about training, whatever that is. Um, I'll regret if I don't. And that one is a perspective mm. question. I love I, that one. Yeah, because it, it says this is what's most important to me. And I'll tell you, very rarely does that have to do with business. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, I give myself permission to... So if there's something, a rule that is not serving you, that's where you really focus on it for that one. And the last one is if I get stuck, I'll remember. So, so that's kind of your first set of goals every month. I kind of write a letter to myself and I check in on that frequency. Then I think of goals as far as looking at a cool, Order. And that's really how I look at it from my business perspective of setting goals of like, I will do this 
then I always have kind of an annual goal. And I think you need all three because as humans, we need a lot of wins, mm -hmm. a lot. And we need to feel like we're moving toward the human we want to be. Start by imagining what that person lives like. And you yes. take the baby steps towards that and all three add up to the vision of who you want to be. And like you were saying, thinking backwards on how we get there. Mm -hmm. I, I love this. I love these five questions so much. I'm definitely going to put this in the show notes so that people can refer back to it. And what I, I mean, all of them are great, but I really love that you start off with, I, this is how I want to feel, or I feel like this, right? Because from my perspective, you know, if, if happiness isn't something that you should chase, happiness is something that wouldn't it be great if we could all be happy right now, regardless of what's going on, regardless of what other people are saying or doing. And that is, that's a gift that we can give ourselves just by, you know, really setting the intention and making deliberate efforts to feel a certain way. And it can be any sort of feeling you want. You can feel happy. You can feel proud. You can feel accomplished. You can feel admired, whatever you want to do. But if you're able to give yourself that gift before you go start chasing these goals, then you've already gotten yourself into a good headspace to be able to go do the things that you want to do. Exactly. You know, mm -hmm. funny story. So I have a friend, she has a five-year-old. And something they do every morning on their way to school is that they do kind of this game where the kid says, I am the queen. And her mom says, I am the queen. And they repeat it over and over again until they kind of start giggling. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it's the same idea, right? And, and I know that sounds so silly, but I think that we, when we set the intention, right? When we say out loud, uh, so for example, full transparency, my word this month is determination. I want to feel determined because I have been struggling with motivation. I lost a dear friend last month and it, it's been weighing on me and it's really hard to run a business when you're grieving. Mm -hmm. And so this month I wanted to get my, mo my mojo back. I wanted to feel determined. And so every time I feel like, I'm slowing down. I'm, I'm feeling lost. I say determined, determined. And I, and I say it over and over again until I almost laugh at myself. And those words, I mean, there's a ton of science on this that says, you know, you can set your brain. You can give your brain a little bit of extra juice by doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and Sean Aker's books are really great for this. I mean, The Happiness Advantage has, talks about a lot of different studies on, on this specific concept where it's not, your emotions are not created by what's happening around you. They're not created by your experience. Your experience is created by your emotions. And so, like, I mean, go, even going back to thinking about that 24-year-old that was told not to speak in meetings. Well, what if that 24-year-old already had just a really um, strong picture of her value and her worth like getting told by a boss that you're not allowed to speak in meetings is not really going to have as much of an impact if you already feel really good about yourself and you already know like i'm valuable of course i should speak in meetings i don't need to listen to this nonsense yeah you're so right that's the kind of coaching that i wish more 20 somethings were getting yes that we weren't waiting until our 30s you know, the other week I was asking, what would you tell your 16 year old self? Because I found an old picture 
of me at 16. And I would have told my 16 year old self, like, don't worry, you just take the long way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. It's okay. Like go slow because the long way is how you'll get there. And a, a friend responded, I would tell her that I like her every year a little bit more after 30. (laughs) I couldn't help but giggle at that. And I'm like, what if we could say, I like her a little bit more every year after 20. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So much of our life and so much of the life that I think sets up a lot of the bones for how the rest of your life looks. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I I got into this conversation with where we, people were talking about how like women after 40 and I would actually argue after 30 like they they run out of f's to give, right? <laughs> like the sooner you get to that point where you stop worrying so much about about what other people are thinking, what are they going to say? Are they going to gossip about me behind my back? What, you know, all this stuff. That's when you get a chance to step into your greatness. Exactly. Exactly. I I think about it as making space for others. And and so the concept is that I am who I am without what they say is not directly influential on who I am, right? But I make space for other people not to be cool with that. I make space for them to sit with that. I make space for other people to not be cool with my decisions, with what I say, how I act, who I love, right? Like I make space for you. Mm -hmm. And that's the best I can do because I can't change anyone except for myself. Yeah. And it's not your job to change them. That's, that's their job. They've got their own stuff to worry about. Like, and you've got your own stuff too. And it's, it's people take so much responsibility for trying to change and control what other people think. And I'm like, just worry about your own stuff. Don't give that your energy. It's just not worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I did this experiment and it, it's still kind of ongoing, but I, it started a couple months ago where I felt, and this is about politics, which people say you should never talk about, but I'm going to because you're cool and I feel like you can probably handle it. I started this experiment where I was, I'm, I'm a very liberal person um, and I, I felt like I was existing in a liberal echo chamber where I was just like watching a lot of MSNBC and only listening to people who agreed with me. And I started making a proactive effort to listen to voices that I thought I would disagree with. Like really going into it and saying, you know what, I'm just going to listen to what they have to say, try to understand their perspective. And it was honestly one of the most empowering things I was ever able to do because first of all, it made me, I feel like it made me a better person in terms of being more empathetic to other points of view, but it also allowed me to really, um, you know, understand that I can have a difference of opinion than you and we can still be cool. Like we can talk, we can have a conversation, go our own separate ways and disagree. And, and it's okay. I'm not less of a person because I have this conversation with you. And, and I wish we could get to a place where, where, you know, like you said, you're, you're holding space that people might not agree with you or might not like you. And it's okay. That's not going to impact you. Exactly. Exactly. Well, because it goes back to that whole, like, you need to put your energy on what you can control. Yeah. Right? When you set a goal, it needs to be a goal that you control. Yeah. 
right? Don't set goals that like, I can't go out there and be like, my goal this month is to win the lottery. All right. I'm going to, my goal is to win the lottery. Okay. <laughs> you what? Like if that's, that's a high bar and statistically you got, your chances are very poor, right? Set the goal and just be specific and you'd be surprised how it changes, but also how, as you become more specific, I think other people can influence you less. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think the lottery example is actually good. And I want to I take on this a little bit because if we're talking about, you know, being able to have your emotions and feel whatever way you want to feel, no matter what, like, what are you really trying to get from winning the lottery? You're trying to feel safe. You're trying to feel secure. You're trying to feel like you're always going to have the resources you need. What if you could give yourself those emotions now without having to, to win the lottery? And what opportunities are going to show up for you that you're going to be able to see and take advantage of if you're already in that place of nothing is ever going to hurt me and I'm really secure in where I am? Exactly. It's a powerful yeah. island. That's for sure. Yeah. Shoot, Katrina. Well, this is this has been a great conversation. Um, I, I wonder if you maybe we can wrap it up with, um, you know, what advice would you give to that 24 year old self that was told don't express yourself? I would say, oh, this is such a good question. Um, all right. I would tell my 24 year old self, stop trying to prove yourself. You are smart. And at this point in your life, your job is to learn from others because you are inherently valuable. Oh, and travel some more, like go take your vacation time. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. So I think we'll, we'll end it there. Do you have anything else you want to add before we conclude? No, I just really appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And I would love to have you back again to talk about other things in the future if you'd be open to it. Absolutely. I would not. Super fun. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you so much, Katrina. I really appreciate you coming on. Of course. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you. I have to say, I really love it when you start a conversation on a negative and it turns around into something positive. And I think that's exactly what happened here. And it demonstrates the fact that every single time that something negative happens to us at work or frankly in life in general, anytime something negative happens, there is always an opportunity to transform it into something that you can reflect on or something that you can learn from or something that you can grow from or an opportunity to say, you know what? I'm so much more valuable than this. And those are not lessons that you necessarily learn when you don't have those experiences. So my big takeaway from this conversation is that treat everything as a blessing, man. The good stuff and the bad stuff. Because the bad things, the things where people put you down or make you feel as though you're not good enough, that's just an opportunity for you to step up and to say, you're wrong. I am absolutely good enough and I am not going to allow your opinion to devalue how I see myself. So Katrina had some great resources. I particularly love her five point list of the questions that she asked herself. Head over to nobsatwork.com. I will put those in the episode notes for you. 
Now, if you want to join in on the conversation and tell me about some of the BS you've experienced at work, head over to nobsatwork.com. You'll fill out a short form just telling me how to get in touch with you and a quick word about what you want to talk about. Don't worry. You do not have to reveal your identity to come on the podcast. If you want to, that's perfectly fine. But you are also welcome to come on anonymously because I care far more about the experience than revealing who you are and the specific organization that you work for. So head over to nobsatwork.com. You'll also be able to find past episodes of the show. Now, if you enjoyed this conversation, I think you'll love my book. It's called Zen Your Work, and it's all about how to infuse mindfulness techniques into your work experience so you can reduce your stress, be more creative, be more productive, build better working relationships, and create a more fulfilling work experience. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me at zenworkplace.com. Of course, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, and you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Carlin B. Until next time, I sincerely hope you don't have too much BS at work. But if you do, we'll try to focus our energy in a more positive direction. Reach out to me, we'll have a chat, and we'll figure out what we can learn from it to do it better.